0: I'm reading from Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 up to 9. I entreat you, and I entreat Sintike to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help this woman who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, what is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you.
1: Thank you, Edgar. I appreciate that.
0: We are in our current
1: series on the book of Philippians. We are going through it verse by verse so we don't miss anything that God would have to communicate to us and have us be changed by Uh, following today there's only one last message in this series Uh, Matt Lang is going to be preaching next week so please be here to show your love and support uh, for him and it will be good Matt is on our elder team and then we're starting a new series on 2 Peter as of July uh, 21 but let me just sort of set up today's theme for you uh, to get us going we are looking at the issue of emotions emotions not emoticons but emotions, these things are used everywhere now. It's almost like we communicate with emoticons more now than with words. I just can't go there for some reason, uh, but maybe I should. But anyhow, emotions, not emoticons. But generally, you may have noticed that people tend to fall into two categories. We have the emotional person, and then maybe... The person over here who has emotions but doesn't express them so much i would probably be in this category over here i blame my uh, my dna i'm dutch and i'm scottish they don't just tend to emote a whole heck of a lot especially the dutch Uh, but anyhow but yeah you tend to marry your emotional opposite don't you if you are married i mean the you it tends to be the emotional marries the not so emotional and in god's good design you can see how this tends to work if you're if you're both explosively emotional Bad things happen sometimes, and if you're, if you're not emotional at all, then that's maybe not a terribly exciting marriage, but anyhow, we won't go there. But that's just generally how it goes, and thank God that He gives us that kind of uh, differences in our personalities. But emotions are powerful, would you agree? Uh, very, very powerful, and they can be powerfully good and powerfully destructive. And what are some examples of good emotions? Those would be joy and laughter, uh, contentment. Aren't they, aren't, isn't laughter a wonderful emotion? I just love to laugh, probably too much. How about the, the emotion of contentment? Just being okay with everything, just okay with life, it's good. But then we have negative emotions, and they're very powerful. We have rage, we have anger, we have uh, hatred, we have anxiety, we have self-pity, which is something I'm very good at. Uh, it's not good. But we have the, the emotions of hopelessness and envy and hatred. These are very, very powerful. And and when these negative emotions, when they're, they're out of control, when they're, they're not managed, you got to watch out. I know for myself, it is my negative emotions that have got me in the most trouble, that have caused the most havoc in my relationships and in my life. Here's a word picture that I want to, to use when it comes to describing emotions. The word picture is, is that of an appendix. Let's talk about append- appendixes. And... Uh, i got to get through this without laughing myself silly. But what happens when you get appendicitis? Your appendix gets infected. Has anyone had to have this removed? Anybody want to admit to that? Okay, good. There's a few of you. So you get this this pain. I haven't had this happen to me. But basically, it, it, it gets infected. And if this happens to you, if your appendix gets infected, what do you need to do? Do you just leave it? Just hope it heals itself? Just drink this special healthy drink or this pill and maybe it will heal itself and it will go away. No. If you leave your infected appendix, bad things happen. It will likely actually literally explode inside of your body and then spread all of that septic material all over the inside of your abdomen. It puts your life at risk. You can die actually from infected exploding appendixes. So if you want to get better, you have to have that appendix literally taken out, rooted out from your body and removed. This happened to my brother. So the quick story about my brother is this. So one day he's at work. It was a few years ago. And all of a sudden, this sharp, excruciating pain in his lower abdomen right about here. And long story short, it was his appendix, severely infected, rushed him into surgery. They got that nasty appendix out of his body. The, the surgeon took it out and then threw it in the garbage can, which I guess they throw body parts after, into garbage cans like an NBA star. And it hit the bottom of that garbage can and exploded on impact, like right away. Meaning, good thing they took it out just in the nick of time, okay? Here's the connection here. Here's the connection. Um, so it is with you and me when we bury and suppress and refuse to deal with and confront and manage those negative uh, appendix-like, infected appendix-like emotions within us. They're very destructive, and they can explode and put your relationships at risk and your well-being at risk, your spiritual health at risk, okay? Maybe your sanity at risk as well, unless... You come to Jesus, the ultimate surgeon, okay? If you reach out to Him, you trust in Him, you trust and you beg His Holy Spirit to help you each and every day, show me how to manage these negative, very often sinful, destructive emotions within me and take a proactive stance instead of a reactive stance to when these emotions erupt within us. And so this is very, very helpful stuff. We're going to be looking at the negative emotions of uh, sinful anger, of hostility, of freaking out when life is hard, of anxiousness and anxiety. So these are the the ones that we're looking at. So very helpfully, we're going to learn how to proactively manage our negative emotions that so often disrupt our lives and cancel out our joy. So let's get into the passage now, shall we? And uh, the first point I want to share with you from the passage that Edgar read is number 1. There's a sermon outline in your notes in your bulletin if you do want to fill in the blanks is this. Agree in the Lord when you disagree, notice when, not if, so it's going to happen, agree in the Lord when you disagree with a fellow Christian or church member since your names are written in the book of life. And this is what's happening. You've got to work things out when you find yourself in conflict with another church member. And we actually see a bit of a spat, not a bit of a spat, a big spat happening in our passage. Look at verses 2 and 3, which say, I entreat Euodia and, and I entreat Syntake, I'm going to go with Syntyche here, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. So let's zero in on the first three people that Paul mentions here. Again, this is Euodia, Syntyche, and then someone Paul, it seems he does not mention by name. This is the quote, true companion. Uh, one, Bible commentator thinks this might be Dr. Luke. If you read the book of Acts and elsewhere you will know about this Dr. Luke. He actually wrote the book of Acts and the book of Luke. He actually wrote more words in the New Testament of the Bible than even Paul. Uh, So it could very well be Luke. We're not sure. But this is someone that Paul trusts to help Euodia and Syntyche. These are two very prominent women in the church, they might be deaconesses who are in charge of women's ministry and training up other women in the ways of Jesus. And they're, they're fighting, they're, they're in conflict. Why? We don't know. Paul doesn't say. It could be a disagreement about how to do ministry towards women. It could be gossip and slander. It could be all kinds of different things, okay? But what we can, what we can infer here is that this disagreement between these two women it's a big problem it's because Paul addresses it publicly so they would have taken this letter from Paul of Philippians and read it in front of the entire church once received and can you imagine your name and your name being on that letter (laughs) read to the whole church like this is obviously that only happens if it's a very serious confrontation and conflict in the church and and so Paul is like you guys got to deal with this You've got to deal with this issue, and, and, and true companion, you've got to help them sort it out, okay? Here's what this means for us as a local church. So we're trying to apply this stuff, right? This is God speaking to us through Paul. This word is good for today as well, not just 2,000 years ago. So Mercy Hill Church family, when, again, not if, if you hang around church for a while, you will discover you will find yourself in some level, big or small conflict with someone else. It's going to happen, because we still battle sin, even as Christians. It's so big or small, if you find yourself in some sort of conflict with a church member here, you've got to be quick to work it out. Don't let it fester like that nasty appendix within. You've got to be quick to find agreement in Christ. And if, if you are the person who has wronged the other, you've got to own that. You've got to take responsibility for it. You need to repent of that sin. Say you're sorry. Not enough of us say sorry enough we got to say sorry more and own our own stuff. Or you might be the, the person who is wronged, okay? You've got to forgive them. Forgive us, the Lord has forgiven you, all right, because of Christ. That's what we... Holding a grudge, not an option. Holding a grudge in church life, it's anti-gospel, disrupts our entire church family. This reminds me of... I'm sort of a, a sucker for... I love a Survivor or Survival type shows. I don't watch Survivor, just so you know. But I love the, the survivor type shows where people are going out into nature and trying to, like alone, I think it's on history. Um, but anyhow, there was one a few years ago, and this wasn't it. This is Bear grills, I think. But this wasn't it. I couldn't find a picture of the show itself. But it was a show uh, outlining and describing how 20 people were dropped off in the middle of nowhere, and their goal and their mission Uh, was to travel about, I don't know, 40, 50 kilometers away to a different destination in some sort of wilderness uh, context. And that was was what was going on. And uh, so, as you can imagine, it's not long before these 20 people are, are, and some of them are starting to really fight each other and, and bicker and argue with each other and disagree with each other and and this happens because they're just looking for food to eat and shelter to make and try to survive in these very tough conditions and situations. Well, at that point, the leaders who emerged as leaders within the group, they basically stop everything, and they say, we're going to have a a, a team meeting here. Let's stop everything. And they say, look, you two need to work this out because unless you work it out, you're going to bring the whole team down. We're not going to make it to where we need to make it. We're not going to make it To our destination. Your conflict is pulling us all down. And so it is in the life of the church family, right? Same thing. It's no different. You know, for us, it is hard enough to faithfully pursue the mission of Jesus and reach more lost people for Him. That's hard enough. We don't need any extra unnecessary conflict that stands in the way of us trying to reach more lost people for Jesus and love lost people. Christ. And so my question as I boil this point down, I just want to ask you a question. Think of, of yourself. Is there someone here? Maybe it's me. Is there someone here who you are currently in conflict with? Maybe the, the other person doesn't even know. But it's changing how you, how you connect with Jesus. It's changing how you treat other people here. And I'm just saying if there's someone that you know that you need to work something out with here at Mercy Hill, please do so. Don't leave it. Don't let it fester like that nasty appendix. It's not good. It won't work well for our church. It brings us all down. Let's be proactive about dealing with stuff when, when, not if, when they arise. That's number one. Let us move to the second point I want to share with you, and it's simply this. Uh, Always and habitually rejoice in the Lord since He is near. Always and habitually rejoice in the Lord since He is truly in close proximity. There's a saying that kind of goes... Like this, that I believe is true. Uh, We are creatures of of habit, just like the elephant. You know, they always go in the same paths. Apparently, sheep do the same thing as well. Uh, But creatures of habit, either way, uh, you naturally, you most easily find yourself doing that habit because it's your default mode. Okay, you're used to it. You've been doing that habit day in, day out, in some cases for years. And here we see Paul. Uh, suggesting and teaching this Philippian church family, and he's telling our church family as well, we've got to get into a very helpful habit. You know what that habit is? We're going to find out in verses four and five. Uh, Edgar read it already. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. There's the habit. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says it again. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone the Lord is at hand. Now, the first question I asked after I I looked at these verses was, is Paul telling, uh, maybe he's telling the Philippian church at this time to rejoice habitually and and always as a kind of antidote for fighting with each other. If they would just get their eyes off themselves and their own conflict and, and other people's sins and rejoice more and look to Jesus more, they would probably be in conflict less. Is that why Paul brings this up? He could be. He could, be, he could be seeing it as an antidote for conflict or it could be an entirely different separate idea and uh, teaching here or thought. This is a teaching in either case that helps show us how to deal with the negative emotions of self-pity, the negative emotions of feeling sorry for myself and especially when we're facing hard times. Isn't it easy to feel sorry for yourself when life is difficult? I mean... That's my, that's my sweet spot for negativity. It's not good. And then dwelling in negative, swimming in negativity. Here's a helpful quote uh, from the ESV Study Bible that unpacks what this joy and rejoicing is. It says, The joy that Paul calls for is not, a, is not a happiness that depends on circumstances, but a deep contentment that is in the Lord based on trust in the sovereign living God and that therefore is available always, even in difficult times. It is so easy. It is too easy to allow hard circumstances to steal your joy, to cause us to forget how good God is, to forget all that Jesus has done for us when he lived our perfect life, died our death on the cross for our sins in our place, and then rose again to earn salvation. We forget the cross even. We forget all that he's done for us. We forget all of his coming promises. It's just, it just happens. And so Mercy Hill Church... We must get into this new habit. We must rejoice in the Lord, not once, not twice, not just once every three months, but always every day, habitually. And here's, here's what this looks like. You pray. If you don't find joy or you find it difficult to rejoice, you've got to pray and ask God places that motivation within you and that new life within you by His Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Imagine yourself praying this. Holy Spirit, produce in me today before we go to work especially before you go to work, produce in me today the fruit of joy. Empower me to choose to rejoice no matter what circumstance I'm facing. This reminds me of an elderly friend I had uh, once had, and he's passed on, uh, but he was a remarkable guy. Basically, for the last decade of his life, he was experiencing excruciating pain. In addition, his eyesight was poor and his mobility was severely limited i mean that's rough and if anyone had a good reason to feel even a little sorry for himself to be a little negative for himself it was this guy but do you want to know what his habitual response was people would come in they would visit him how are you doing are you hanging in there how are you managing the pain and suffering you know what his habitual default response was to them and to me? Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. It was almost all he would ever say to people that would ask him these things in the middle of his severe suffering. I mean, thank you, God. How is this possible? How is this possible? Because he chose to rejoice always. This, this was the default habit probably before the hard pain and the hard circumstances came. He was ready for this, you see, because he knew I can rejoice in the midst of this hard circumstance. The Lord is near. He's right with me. His Holy Spirit is within me, living in me. Better times with the Lord and his people. They're coming. Heaven is coming down the, down the line here. Heaven is in my future, the best possible place in the universe. I'm going there. Just not yet. And now he's passed away. Guess what he's doing now? Rejoicing his face off, you know, in heaven. He's in that best possible place with God. I mean, he's rejoicing now. If you are anything like me, you are an expert in self-pity and negativity. I wish there was an award for this, an Olympic sport, gold medal for me, (laughs) okay? You're an expert, perhaps, like me, of being a glass-half-empty type personality this is not this is not a helpful sort of default mode uh, if you're anything like me so therefore what do we do we pray we got to pray even more i think pray pray every day we ask jesus by your holy spirit produce more joy in my life help me to get my eye off of me and my hard circumstances help me to get my eyes onto you and all that you've done for me and all that you've promised me get i need your like rescue me from me save me from me Get my eyes on you. More of you, less of me. Just pray that 20 times a day. More of you, less of me. That's a good one. Save us from our negative emotions, Lord Jesus. Let's move on uh, to point number three in your notes if you're following along. And this next one is very practical. And it's, it sounds like a, it's like a, I'm, I'm doing a finger wagging kind of exercise here, but it's scripture. It's not me. It's Jesus. Uh, simply, don't be anxious. <laughs> Instead, pray in God's peace Will guard you. Don't be anxious. Instead, here we go, pray again, and God's peace will guard you like a shield. Many experts uh, suggest that the level of anxiety in our culture today is higher than it's ever been in human history. Now, we don't have scientific data to back that up exactly, um, but they would say there's more anxiety, there's more worry, there's more depression in our society than ever before because of things like technology things like social media, busier lifestyles, crammed schedules, there's more noise, there's more voices, there's more internet, and there's more media, there's just more everything. And, and, and I have to agree, I think we are more anxious as a society than ever before in, hum, in human history. might be wrong, but I think that's the case. I see it everywhere, all right? And I believe anxiety is a very real pressing issue. I do believe it's plaguing our society in general more than ever. There are medical reasons, by the way, for anxiety. And I am actually pro-medication. We can have a conversation after. There are some people that require medication, kind of like diabetics require insulin. Uh, But in either case, whether you need medication or not, all of us, if we battle negativity and anxiety and all of this kind of stuff, we can benefit from what Paul teaches in verses 6 and 7. Let me just read those again here. He says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by, there it is again, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it will guard your hearts and guard your minds in Christ Jesus. That is an amazing couple of uh, verses, isn't it? Now, do we believe this stuff? But let's trace this out before you answer that. Paul says, the way to go to town, the way to battle your anxiousness and anxiety and worry is to pray more of you, less of me, voice your anxiety, actually tell God your anxiety. If you read the book of Psalms, by the way, it's like 60, 70% anxiety from David and, and the other writers there. So he's big enough to, his shoulders are big enough to bear your anxieties and your concerns and your worries. Okay, that's why he's there is to help you and help me. So we pray and then we ask in addition to giving Him our anxieties, we ask for supplication, which is, root word being, supplies. God, give me the supplies I would need just to live life and survive life. We entrust our needs to Him. And then as we, we ask for help and ask for supplies, we pepper that with thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, God, for forgiving me through Christ. Thank you for providing for my basic everyday needs. Thank you for the hope of heaven in my future. And so let all your, your prayer requests be made known to God. Exhaust God with your requests. You can't actually do that. He's all powerful. But you get my point. Pour out your requests to heaven, to God, and then what happens? What's the result as you do that day in, day out? When you make prayer your habit and pouring out your concerns to God and your requests to God, what happens in you? Paul says, Paul's... Unexplainable, peace will invade your life, will come to you. What is this peace? Well, here's the, one definition. NIV's uh, Zondervan Study Bible defines peace as the secure confidence that God is sovereign, in control, in control, fully in control. He is sovereign and he's loving. He's got your best interests, my best interests at heart. This is a, a person who loves you more than anyone else does. And that peace overwhelms you and and you're just astonished by it, that he would actually care for you, let alone watch over you and show daily love. But you can take secure confidence in that. And this peace guards your heart, guards your mind like a shield. It's like like a, a fortress in and around you. It drowns out the noise of your anxious thoughts and your worries and your fears. And his peace becomes like a fortress of strength in your life. Isn't this good? Don't you want that? I know that many of you experience this all the more, all the more. One of my, to tell you a story, uh, one of my favorite uh, church history heroes is a, a missionary from the 1800s by the name of Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor, a British guy, and he just looks, that's, that's what a man looks like, isn't it? I mean, look at that guy. He's just a beautiful specimen of a male. Just, yeah, I love that. Bring back the 1800s, you know. Uh, but anyhow... He wrote a book called The Spiritual Secret, and the spiritual secret uh, that he conveyed to the rest of us was namely, rolling the burden onto the Lord. It's, it's a quote from, I believe, one of the Psalms. Rolling the burden onto the Lord. Biblical idea. And you see, as a young man, he was much younger than he was in this photo, uh, as a new missionary starting up China Inland Mission, I mean, China had almost no Christian influence or gospel influence at all back in that day and so he was initiating sharing the gospel taking the gospel to the chinese but you know that was a tall order and he he was a young man and he started the china inland mission and well in in so doing you know he lost several children to illness like several kids died and then wives were dying and and then he felt the weight of responsibility for all these young missionaries coming in and some of them were dying and, and then they had to fund, he had to fundraise for China Inland Mission and they're looking to him for leadership. All of this is happening to the poor guy, the poor young guy. And he's just felt utterly overwhelmed, filled with anxiety, worry, depression until, until he reached sort of the bottom. And then he learned to daily roll the burden, roll the anxiety onto the Lord. Roll it off of his shoulders onto God's more than capable, all-powerful shoulders. And for Hudson Taylor, it changed his life, changed his ministry. Just what a relief. What a relief, watershed moment. And you know me, like I say, I'm an expert worrier. That spiritual secret has helped me tremendously over the years. So Mercy Hill Church, my question to you is, you might be listening, are you daily, roll, not doing that kind of rolling, not the bad kind of rolling, if you know what I'm talking about, Roll the burden. Just the burdens. Don't roll anything else. Roll the burdens off your shoulders onto the Lord to experience His peace. What needs to happen for that to happen in you and in our church family? Let's move on to number four in your notes. And it's a fairly brief point as I try to bring this in for a landing. Think on and practice excellent things. Sounds kind of like a weird point, but it's actually quite profound. Think on and then practice Excellent things. All right. The Bible often identifies that your thoughts precede your actions. Your thoughts greatly influence what you do. Okay. So, meaning good actions usually happen before good actions that you do or good deeds. Uh, sinful actions, use, or sorry, sinful thoughts precede very often sinful actions. Actions. Okay, it's the idea, the biblical idea, Proverbs 4:23, that um, everything about you flows out of your heart. Everything that you think about, everything that you do, everything that you say flows out of what's going on in your inner world. So thoughts precede practice. Would you agree with that? Generally, is that generally your experience? Okay, I think it's true. Paul understands that principle as he uh, explains. Uh, verses 8 and 9, and shares this with us. And so let's read those uh, words from him. Verses 8 and 9 again, if you want to follow along. Finally, brothers, it's quite a list, by the way, isn't it? But whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. More of you, less of me, see? What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, kind of setting himself forward as an example. Okay? And the, there it is again, the God of peace will be with you. You know, the first thing that came to my mind as I read that list, it's quite a list, was simply, Paul, tell me, what is true? Okay, if I'm supposed to think about true things, what is true? What is honorable? What is just? What is pure? What is lovely? What is commendable? What is excellent? Then I got my answer. I kept reading. Paul writes, if anything is worthy of praise... Think about these things. Well, who, is, who alone is worthy of praise? God. Only God. More of you, less of me. He alone is actually the source of all these other things that are listed there. He is the source of truth and honor, justice, purity, beauty, and excellence. And I better stop yelling. I'm starting yelling in a small room is not helpful for one's hearing. But anyhow, the idea here and the challenge here is, It is for you, it is for me, it is for us, Mercy Hill Church. Let us intentionally, let us habitually get our focus on Jesus. Be proactive, not just with your emotions, but with your thoughts. Think about Jesus, read his word, read about the ways of Jesus. What are the ways of Jesus and the ways of God? You find that in the word and then you feed your soul upon the nutrition, spiritual nutrition that God's word provides. It's our bread. It's our spiritual bread. Daydream about Jesus. Do you ever do that? Just daydream about Jesus. Daydream about the ways of Jesus. Try that sometime. It's a wonderful thing while you're driving, but don't make sure you're driving still. Don't get too distracted. But the more that you and I and we, the more that we center our thoughts on Christ the greatest, the most beautiful, most loving person in the universe, the more we get our thoughts on him and on his ways, the more we will practice the ways of Jesus, which is always the best way. Thoughts precede action. It all starts up here. It starts in our heart, in our mind. Let me ask you, as I bring this in for a landing here, what's fil- what are you filling your thoughts with these days? What are you thinking about these days? What are you feeding your mind with These days, what occupies your mind if excellent thoughts precede excellent action? Excellent thoughts come before excellent actions for Jesus. What can you do to fill your thoughts with Jesus and his excellent ways? Well, some this isn't my thing, but some of you I know love to listen to I think it's 106.5 is that it? Uh, Praise FM, praise 106, and uh, there's worship music all the time, apparently. And uh, they listen to that on their commute or, or just getting stuff around town. And for, for you, that's just a wonderful way to get your thoughts onto Christ. And I say, do it. Go for it. Other people, you, they like to read Christian books. That's my bread and butter. You know, I actually, uh, I actually uh, do go to the gym a couple times a week. No one believes me, by the way. They're like, e- no, you don't work out. No, I- you're lying. But in between sets, you know what I do? I have Kindle on my phone, and I'm going through... I've read like about a dozen books within the last year between sets you know it's just it's fantastic but that gets my thoughts really like reading is really big for me to get my thoughts onto christ in addition to scripture or more practically speaking the fact that you're here today you are here to get your thoughts onto christ and that happens through worship it happens through listening to god's word being taught and, and preached um your kids go to kids ministry for the same purpose to get their thoughts onto christ because if we don't have christ we got nothing And so we come here consistently, regularly, to keep feeding our minds with the excellent thoughts of Christ and the excellent actions of Christ. Bottom line is, in all of this, with our emotions, with our thoughts, we have got to be proactive, not reactive, be proactive. Take action with your thoughts and with your emotions. And it is essential. Don't leave leave your thought life up to Netflix. Don't leave your thought life up to social media. Okay? Don't leave it up to these things that very often are counter, you know, to, to, to the ways of Jesus. It's just not worth it. I mean, whose life is improved by next... Ne- there's some helpful documentaries, I suppose, but not many. Okay, whose life is improved by that stuff? I don't know. Okay, anyhow, I better stop. Let's pray together. A very abrupt ending. God, I love, uh, love this passage. How challenging and how beautiful and helpful and practical it is. And so with these things we've looked at today, would you help us in these things? We want to proactively better manage our emotions in a way that honors you and and brings life to other people in our lives and to our marriages and our kids and our, our work relationships as well. So help us, Lord, as a church family. We desire to have more of you and less of us, more thoughts about you, less thoughts about ourselves. As we come to your table today to remember the cross, uh, we pray that you would draw near to us as we draw near to you.